Let me invite you in your copy of the word to turn to the 30th chapter of Genesis. We're slowing down a little bit here, only reading uh, uh, about 18 verses instead of our usual 50, because it's a fascinating scene that we have uh, to get to this, uh, this morning. We looked last week at the, um, the baby battle, the, the contest between Rachel and Leah, but really not simply a contest, the tragedy that it was, the sadness, the hardship, the, the difficulty, and yet the fact that at the end of it all, God remembered Rachel, God opened her womb. We saw that part of God's great promise to Abraham, remember God's promise to Abraham? We've been looking at it. God promised, I'll make you a great nation. You'll have lots of kids. He said, I'll give you the land. And then he said, I'm going to bless those who bless you. We've seen one part of that blessing already start with Jacob, family. But where's the rest? Well, today we get a little taste of the rest. We get the blessing given to Jacob. You'll uh, find us beginning today in verse 25. We'll read through verse 43, which is the end of the chapter. Let's once more uh, trust that God will speak to us through his word. As we hear from Moses, as we hear from the master of Moses. And begin verse 25. We're told that as soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you that I may go for you know the service that I've given you. But Laban said to him, if I found favor in your sight, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wage and I'll give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me. You had little before I came and it has increased, increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? Laban said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats who were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. He said a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that's the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart, did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock. 
that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now since the reading of God's holy and errant word, let's pray and ask him to bless us in, in the time ahead. Oh Lord God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You are wealth, wealthy beyond our wildest imaginations. We thank you, Lord, that you bless us. You prosper us. Show us what that looks like, what that means today. As we receive from the hand of Christ, your word. Grant your spirit to us. To me, as I preach, to us as we hear, that we both and all may be enriched. We come to you, pleading that you would prosper us now with the greatness of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. A lot of folks look at this uh, little story here and they see a kind of battle of wits between two cheats. A lot of folks look at the story here, they see a battle of wits between two deceivers. Laban, we know he's a crook. And then Jacob outwits him. This is the kind of their last duel. And it's a kind of a rivalry that ends with Jacob coming out on top. That's what we read at the very end of the section. We just read it. Jacob increased greatly. That's true. But there's a way bigger picture today that we're going to look at in this story. It's not about Jacob being crafty and Laban being cunning. It's actually about what God is saying. It's about God and what God is telling us through Jacob. To make it very simple, God is prospering Jacob. And not like a baby prospering. Not a little bit. Not like, this is not like when your allowance increases from five cents to ten cents. Parents, maybe if you need me to bump it up a little bit with inflation, right? 10 cents to 15 cents these days. It's not like that kind of increase. There's a lot. God exceedingly, abundantly blesses Jacob. And we're going to see today that that's what God does for you. God prospers Christians. God prospers Christians. God promises to you today that you will be blessed. He promises that through this text. We've seen it already. Last week, Jacob had 14 years, hard years, toil years, labor years, backbreaking gulag work years, but he's got a family. God's been building a family. Dysfunctional, out the wazoo, horribly broken in many ways, but a family, but a family that God will use to bless the world. And the God who started to fulfill that part of his word is now fulfilling the next part of his word. He's going to give Jacob property. This is the period of six years when Jacob made his fortune. This is the period of six years when Jacob went from rags to riches. He becomes extremely wealthy. We see God here not just in the spiritual high of Bethel a few weeks ago, not just with the latter, we see God here in the cutthroat world of business. And we'll see how God blesses. I suppose we could spot a couple of things here if you want an outline. We see first that God blesses in spite of unpromising circumstances. He blesses in spite of circumstances that don't look promising. They don't look great. Let's start off here. Let me see. 
Jacob has spent sleepless nights. He'll say in the next chapter, he has been hot in the day. He's been cold in the desert night. And he's still a poor man. And he has a lot of kids to feed. Some of y'all may know what that's like, right? Not having enough for the mouths to go around. He has poverty. So look at verse 25. He gets Joseph. God answers Rachel's prayer. And immediately Jacob says, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. Send me away that I can go back home. Finally, Jacob is beginning to turn here from a self-centered, woman-focused person into somebody who remembers what God's been doing in his life, what God's called him to do. He's called him to go back to his land, to go back to his own home and go back to his own country. But he's in a very vulnerable position here. You'll notice he says in verse 26, he says, give me my wives and my children. It's a little weird because in our day, if you get married, you're married to your wife. And if you all have kids, they're your kids. They're not somebody else's kids. They're not your employees. They're not your employer's kids. But legally, in the ancient Near East, you see this even in Exodus 21, that the wives of slaves, the children of slaves, were considered part of the master's family. I'm not saying it's right. That's the way it was. Even though these 12 kids are Jacob's kids, 11 sons, one daughter, they still belong to Laban. The women are Laban's. This is the real trap Jacob's put himself in. This is the thing Jacob failed to really think over when he agreed to work for wages instead of working his family. If he had worked his family, he wouldn't be in this pickle. He wouldn't be in this situation. But when he changed from a son to a slave, well, his wife changed. Any future kids changed. You can hear the frustration in verse 31. He says, when shall I provide? How am I going to provide for my own household now? I'm poor. He wants his family. He wants his homeland. But Laban knows he has a great worker. He has a great wage. Jacob has no money. He's poor. He brings the problem to Laban, and he says, Laban, I've been a slave for you. He mentioned service three times in a couple of verses. I've been a slave for you. I've been serving you all this time. In fact, he uses language here, verse 26, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. He uses language here that speaks to the Old Testament uh, way of viewing indentured servants. That's what slavery was in the Old Testament. He says, look, I've served Laban. I've served you. And in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, if a, if a slave came to you and said, I've served you six years, I want to be free. You were supposed to give them a lot of money. You were supposed to give them flock. You were supposed to set them up with a little nest egg that they could be free. You were supposed to liberate them. <laughs> do you think Laban's going to do that? No. Laban doesn't care about those sort of things. He won't lift a finger to help unless there's a deal to be made. And so Jacob says, hey, can we make a deal? You'll notice that Laban responds, verse 27, by never answering the question. Jacob asks, hey, uh, what can I do to, to leave? And Laban says, uh, well, 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 hold on now. Um, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. It's striking here. He names the name of God. He, he uses the name of Yahweh. He uses the covenant name of the Lord. He talks about Jacob's God, but he says by divination. 
Laban here is, is someone who is glad to use any trick he can. He's going to save Jesus Christ just to make a buck. Because really, what he's trusting, and we'll find out next week, are his household gods. He's not trusting in the Lord, but he's willing to use the name of Jesus to get one over on the stupid Christian, the naive Christian, Jacob. He never answers his question. And he realizes, Jacob, you've been blessing me somehow because of this God you've got. I don't know how. Somehow. I, I want to keep you here. You're my golden goose. You're my breadwinner. What can I do to keep you around? Well, Jacob will have to work if he wants to leave. Now, it's fascinating here. Jacob has thought about what he wants to, you know, get for his wages. It's a weird salary. He says, beginning in verse 32, hey, look, I'll pastor, but um, I want a weird salary. I want to go through all of your flock, and I want to get all the pimply creatures. I want to get all the yucky creatures. I want to get all the recessive gene creatures. I want to get all the lambs and the goats that are the weak ones, that aren't the good ones. Uh, most sheep, I'm not an expert here, I'm not from the city, but you can tell me if I'm wrong. I believe most sheep, especially in, in the Middle East, are white. Most goats are black or brown. And most of the Middle East are single-colored, monochrome animals. A very small percentage were spotted or speckled or striped. And Jacob says, I'll take the little baby amount of discolored animals that are recessive. This is a side note. A normal shepherd's wage in those days was about 20% of the flock. This would be nowhere close. Nowhere close. A lot less. And Laban realizes, hey, there's no way Jacob could cheat me because I can just look at the animals. You can't cook the books when you can look at the stripes and the animals and the spots. And of course, uh, what does Laban do? He, he says, verse 34, yeah, it's only the bad side when you're talking to somebody. This is what I found out when I went to, to Turkey in the Middle East. and I had to bargain for stuff. Always a bad sign when they accept your first offer. Always a bad sign because you know instantly that you've, you've gotten a bad deal. You've aimed too low. Jacob seems to have aimed too low. He's willing to work for what seemed like awful wages. How can he make a fortune? We see here the first principle that God is able to bless in spite of awful, unpromising, terrible circumstances. But second, we see that God's able to bless in spite of your colleagues, in spite of untrustworthy and cynical colleagues. He's able to bless you in spite of not just your circumstances, but the people around you. In the uh, 1960 presidential election, one of the closest ones in, in U.S. history, uh, the, the campaign of uh, JFK, Kennedy put a commercial out and they put a poster out. It was an unflattering picture of uh, Richard Nixon. I think it was pretty easy to find one. <clears throat> And they had a big picture of Nixon, and they had a tagline. Would you buy a used car from this guy? Would you buy a used car from this guy? I mean, it's, it's really, a, it was dirty politics. It wasn't like a very sophisticated thing, but it was effective. People looked at Nixon's face. They said, huh, I wouldn't buy a used car. You're not asking him to buy get a used car. But in any event, would you buy a used car from Laban? No, you wouldn't buy a used car from Laban. It'll be a lemon. What does Laban do? He, he does the same thing. He, he, he sets up the same scenario as he had 14 years earlier with Jacob. Verse 28, he says, name your price. 
You want this deal, Jacob? You want to go home? Uh, you're willing to work for me? Uh, name your price. Name your price. That's the exact thing he had said 14 years earlier with the, with the wives. He had cheated Jacob before. You would like to hear that tomorrow morning, right? You'd like to hear going to your work and here tomorrow morning, your boss calls you in and says, hey, we'll make you an offer. Name your price. Be a great deal, wouldn't it? <laughs> but of course, uh, what does Laban do? He agrees to the deal. Verse 35, he cheats. He cheats. On that very day, Moses tells us it's instantly. Laban takes all the stripes and speckled money. He wants to make double dog sure that Jacob gets zip out of this deal. He sends his sons. He says, hey, take these uh, speckled goats, take all the recessive gene lambs and take them about three days away. Take them so far away, there's going to be no commingling. There's not going to be any chance that they'll be uh, here. And, well, Laban cheats him. We'll see in the next chapter, Jacob says, over the next six years, Laban will change his wages ten times. One day it's a speckled animals. Next day it's a spotted ones. Third day it's a striped ones. He is determined to cheat Jacob. It's completely unfair. Laban admits, Jacob, you've been good for my business, but I'm going to cheat you anyway. You've blessed my business, but I'm going to cheat you anyway. Far from serving the God that's been generous to him, Laban doesn't even attempt to treat God's servant, God's man, with any care. He loves the money from Jacob, but he hates the God who gives it. This is an unfair employer. Do you know what that's like? You ever had a situation in your life where you've been unfairly cheated? Yeah, I think so. It's been at work and your manager has been awful to you. You tried to deal with it and nothing happened. Didn't change the situation. Unfair. What does God do here? God blesses Jacob despite untrustworthy, unfair colleagues, unfair bosses. And down the road, we'll see that Laban actually does get justice. That's down the road. And notice here, beginning in verse 37, what does Jacob do in, the, in response? Laban's cheating him. What's Jacob going to do? Well, notice that Jacob doesn't skip a beat. There's no indication that Jacob's doubting or he, 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 he's worried. He doesn't think through his options. Rather, immediately he gets to work. And what he does in this paragraph is a classic, confusing Bible story. Well, what does he do? Let's just tell you what he does first. He goes to three types of wood that would have kind of white bark. He peels off the bark. He takes some sticks. He makes white show. Interestingly, by the way, this is pure fun side note for you. The Hebrew word for white is Laban. Interesting. <clears throat> and he lays these white sticks in front of the feeding troughs where the sheep and the goats are going to usually mate. And that's, I'm not an expert animal, but uh, you can ask Jim. Maybe he'll tell you how the animals are, where they like to do it. Uh, feeding troughs, watering holes, that sort of thing. That's what happens. So he, he, he puts these white sticks with a little speckle on them. He puts them in front of the feeding troughs. What is he doing here? Oh, it's clearly an age-old folklore superstition. It's sympathetic white magic. The, the idea is that the last thing the animal sees before conception will influence the type of offspring. If they see white, it'll be all white. If they see a little bit of speckle, it'll be all, it'll be speckled. And many folks read this and they say, ah, Jacob is still bad Jacob here. 
Jacob is still messed up, Jacob. Jacob is still believing in superstition, and he's just trying to trick. He's lowering himself to Laban's level. And therefore, as Christians, it's okay for you to cheat people if it's, you know, in the name of God. That's, that's kind of some of the applications that people occasionally take from this. Well, of course, it's silly in terms of the science. It's not how genetic works. You know, if the mom sees a white stick of kids to be white, that's not how it works. Don't try it with your own kids. You know, it's not going to work there either, I don't believe. But here it works. It works, right? And, and uh, verse 39, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And then Jacob, you know, he, he knows some eugenics. He, he breeds the stronger ones, and he gives Laban the weaker ones. And it just like that, it seems like Jacob has learned the way of the master trickster. He's outwitted Sensei Laban, and he's one-upped him. And that's how folks read the story. They say Laban's a cheat, Jacob's a sinner, he's a cheat, but God loves him anyway. That's cool. Is that really what's here? No. You can tell from the way I'm talking. It's not the case. It's not the case. We know this for a fact because you got to read the next chapter. We didn't read it, but I'll read verse 9. And following. And actually, even verse 7, right? God uh, did not permit Laban to harm me. And then verse 9, thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Jacob says, in the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that made it with the flock were striped, speckled, and, and mottled. Goes on to say that God spoke to him in a dream. Why did Jacob do this weird, superstitious, white magic stuff? It's not because he's a non-believer. It's not because he's sinning in this moment. God had told him already. God had come to him in a dream. God had told him, I'm going to make it work no matter what you do. God blessed him. Jacob knew full well he was going to be blessed no matter what. So you see here, simply, in spite of the circumstances of Jacob that look terrible in spite of the people who are untrustworthy. God prospers Jacob. Now, that's great for Jacob. What about us? What does it all have to do with us? Your outward life is not like Jacob. You're not a shepherd thousands of years ago. As far as I know, maybe some of you all have a secret night, nighttime job. That's the great for you. Wonderful. But our inner reality is the same. The reality of your soul, what you have to deal with on the inside is the same. God has promised to bless you. And this passage tells you he will prosper you and bless you in spite of everything that stands in the way. You may have a life of mistakes. You may have a life that is messed up. You may have a past filled with problems, but God can bless you. You may have a current situation that's not ideal. Tension, difficulties. You may look at the future and you may be very worried and anxious about what's coming down the pike. You can be unemployed. You can be lonely. You can be in difficult trials. Past, present, future. Like Jacob, God blessed him and he can do the same for you. In spite of unhelpful and untrustworthy people working for bosses that don't care a lick about you, people working with colleagues who are selfish, unhelpful, unchristian, unprincipled. You may be in a family where folks are unsympathetic about your love for Christ. And every time you get together with your family, it's not just awkward, but they don't like you. They don't want to talk to you that much. Especially if you talk about what's really important to you, like Jesus. You may have friends that let you down. 
We will learn here that God can bless you in spite of these people. Laban's whole goal was to prevent Jacob's success, but he couldn't. And more than that, what is Jacob? He's a blessing to the guy who cheats him. Do you realize that God makes you a blessing as a Christian to people who want to hurt you? Jacob blessed rascally Laban. God is able to use you in a way so that non-Christians, in spite of themselves, can admit that you brought good into their lives. That's why, friends, the method of the story is not fight fire with fire in the real world. You know, we're told that business is business. We're told that these spiritual ideas, they're great on Sunday. You come to church and you hear about Jesus and you hear Christian thoughts. But the real world is a Laban world. Cheat people to get ahead. And I think the words that are often quoted to me at this point are the statements of Christ. You need to be as wise as serpents. It's funny, I never hear the last part of that verse. As wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. <laughs> that that kind of gets you know dropped off. The, the voice all, always you know quiets when you, you get to that part. Why? Because we don't actually believe God will prosper us. We believe that our own cunning will prosper us. We believe that our own wisdom will prosper us. We don't actually believe that an innocent life will prosper us. So we make loud statements about being a Christian on Sunday. And then we treat people like scum Monday through Saturday. Is there a lower standard? Is your motto, is our motto, love your neighbor as yourself until you can get one over on them. Love your neighbor as yourself until you can make a few bucks off of them. Friends, Christians are not called to use the weapons of the world. Jacob is not using folklore superstition. When you deal with Laban, don't be a Laban. It's Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evil men. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will make your justice shine like the sun. And yet, there is a wondrous thing here. Why does God come to Jacob and dream at all? Jacob's not done righteous things. He's not been a good little boy. We just saw him last week. He was a passive, apathetic, angry, bitter husband. He does not deserve to prosper. He has a messed up family. He's a slave who put the chains on himself. But here we see a third way that God prospers you. God prospers you in spite of your own unworthiness. He prospers you in spite of your own unworthiness. That's the grace of the gospel, friends, that when you sin, when you behave in an unworthy way, your loving God does not give up on you. He does not say, if that's your behavior, I'm out of you here. He disciplines you. He forgives gives you. He picks you up again. He keeps on blessing you. Now, up to this point, I've given you what could be mistaken for a prosperity gospel sermon. Up to this point, it could sound a lot like God's going to give you a lot of money or at least a lot of goats. You may not want the goats. We have to remember, <clears throat> this is not a health and wealth gospel. This is an Old Testament story. In the Old Testament, earthly wealth like goats and money and kids and female servants and camels and donkeys, that was a visual aid. It was a PowerPoint slide to help the saints see God's work in their lives. Because redemptive history, the history of God's work, was in an earlier phase. It was a shadow form. We'll see it tonight in Hebrews. 
God used shadows and types. He used blunt and earthy and earthly signs, money and kids and old age. But those were all symbols. Those were all tiny shadows of what really is blessing. Look, God's people may be rich in this world. You may be wealthy. That is not a wrong thing. The Bible does not condemn wealth. It condemns the love of money. I pray that God will bless more Christians with material prosperity so that Christians can use and do more good with it. It's not a bad thing to have money. But the New Testament is quite clear that the role of any earthly prosperity you have is to point you to heavenly blessings. What are heavenly? What are the blessings that God gives to you? What, what does it mean that God prospers Christians? It means he gives you Jesus Christ. It means he gives you Jesus Christ. Are you prosperous? Do you have Jesus? If you have him, do you understand that you are exceedingly wealthy? I don't care what your account says. You have ultimate prosperity. You have everlasting riches. You have soul-level prosperity. You have body-level prosperity. You have eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. You have what Peter calls an uncorruptible inheritance, an undefiled inheritance, an unfading inheritance. You have riches far beyond what the world can ever offer. So I guess, how do you know this is all for you? How do you know that God's going to do for you what he did for Jacob? How do you know he's going to prosper you? And that's the knowledge you need. Just imagine, if you knew that prosperity was in the bank in your future, if you knew that a week from today you would get a, a check for a million bucks, you wouldn't care if you lost it all. You wouldn't care if you lost all your money before next week. You knew it's going to come. You're going to get it. You'd be free to lose it all. You'd be free to give it away. You can give all your money away today, knowing you'll have a million bucks tomorrow. Can we know that as a Christian? Yes, we can. Listen to what Jacob says in verse 33. Look at verse 33. He says to Laban, they're having their discussion about wages. Some translations like the ESV say honesty. Others say truth. It literally reads in the Hebrew, my righteousness will answer on my behalf one day. My righteousness will answer on my behalf one day. See, friends, the story ends with Jacob proclaiming, I'm righteous, and Laban the cheat cannot answer. And that points us, friends, to the other one who will be called Israel, the Israel of God. In the pages of the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the true Israelite, in whom there's no Jacob, there's no guile. What will Jesus Christ do with his life? He will take a life of weakness. He will take a position of weakness. And through it all, he will bear many sons and he will make them all wealthy. He will make you wealthy in him. He will be vindicated by the Father. Ultimately, no one will be able to deny him. He will take the raw end of the deal. He will deliberately say, I will be made low. I will be made like a slave. I will take on the position of a servant. I will be pursued by the dragon to the cross of shame. The spotless, innocent, white, pure lamb of God, fluffy and woolly, will become spotted and speckled and striped. He will become stained with crimson. He'll become speckled with the guilt of your wrecked life. What does Isaiah say? By his stripes. Not stripes that come from the genetics, but stripes that come from the whips. From the cat of nine tails. By stripes, we are healed. Jesus Christ will look upon his wood, that cross. He will look upon it. And he will give birth to many. 
But the beautiful thing is, friends, that as he looks upon, gazes upon the cross, as he carries the cross, as he himself is spotted and speckled and and striped, he does not give birth to children who are spotted and speckled and striped. The magic doesn't work that way. The deeper magic, as Lewis would put it, the deeper magic of the gospel is that the spotted and speckled and striped Jesus Christ, the innocent, pure Lamb of God, gives birth by being spotted and speckled and striped. He gives birth to spotless souls. He gives birth to you. He himself takes on your spots. He takes on your stripes. He takes on your specks. He takes on your pimples. And he makes you beautiful. He makes you spotless. That's why, friends, this story is a picture of the final story. It's a picture, whether you're in riches or whether you're in poverty, here is something that assures you that God works all things for good. I mean, not the kind of, you know, teeny bit of good, not the kind of good that's always dependent upon inflation or the exchange rate, but the kind of good that melts in your mouth. The kind of good that says, my spots are paid for. I'm innocent. I'm spotless. My stripes and the stripes I give others, they're dealt with at the cross. And that means this is the kind of good friends that can let you laugh at the Labans. When people cheat you, and they will, when people are untrustworthy, and they are, when your colleagues and your friends fail you, laugh at the Labans of this day because you have everlasting joy. You can say with Jacob, all glory to God. That's prosperity, friends. That's true prosperity. Because it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many friends you have. It doesn't matter how weak you are. It's Jesus Christ the Savior. How blessed we are to know him in whom are hidden all, not some of, all the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge. Whom do we have in heaven but him? Nobody else on earth do we desire. To whom shall we go? He alone has the words of eternal life. So are you entering today? Enter today into the prosperity of Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we um, prepare to come to your table, we offer ourselves, not in place of Christ, but because of Christ. We give ourselves that you might give to us. We thank you that you have given yourself to us even before we gave ourselves to you. We thank you that you have come to our spotted, our stripes, and you have healed us. You have made us whole. You have made us white as snow, though we be crimson. We come to you. And ask that you would once more give us a visual aid of prosperity. Give us Christ himself. In his name we pray. Amen.